You guys ready to do a sermon? Okay, cool. The energy, let's keep it going. Let's keep the energy flowing. Practice saying amen, hallelujah, preach it. Come on, Marshall, give me more. Okay. All right, that's what I'm looking for. Let's keep it rolling. All right. Simmer down. Okay. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, which in more liturgical sort of traditions is a 40-day journey of reflection and repentance leading up to a Good Friday where Jesus died on the cross and, event, and then finally Easter Sunday when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And this is a time where we are essentially journeying with Jesus to the cross. So this is a time of fasting and contemplation and reflection. And today we are starting a new series for this season of Lent. Um, and we're calling this series, I Am. And what we're going to be doing is looking at all of the different statements that Jesus made in the book of John about himself. Things like, I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. Now there are lots of opinions today about who Jesus is. Lots of takes. Basically, anybody you ask will have a different take on who Jesus is. Some will just say that he was a good teacher. Some will call him a prophet. Some will say that he's the son of God. Some would co-opt him as a revolutionary or a hippie guru or whatever it is that you want him to be. Somebody will back you up and say that that's who he was. And in Mark chapter 8, Right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus asked this pointed question to his disciples. He says, who do you say that I am? And the, the answer to that question is the most important thing about each one of our lives. Now, the Gospel of John, where we're going to be sticking around for the next several weeks, it was written by, by one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named John, and it was written to make the case for why Jesus is worth believing in. And John records in this book seven different descriptions that Jesus makes about himself. So for the next several weeks, we're going to examine each claim that Jesus makes about himself. Essentially, during Lent, we are asking the question, who is Jesus according to Jesus? And today we are considering Jesus' claim that he is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John 10. But before we get there, I want us to consider first the first two words of Jesus' statement, the words, I am. Now, in the Old Testament, way back in the book of Exodus, there was a guy named Moses, and Moses was being sent by God to tell the Egyptian pharaoh to let God's people, the Israelites, go from their slavery. And Moses is nervous. He's afraid to go and, and lead an entire nation out of, out of slavery, worried about under what authority is he going to be able to do these things. And he says, he, he asked the question, who should I tell the Israelites and pharaoh is sending me? What's your name? And God, speaking through a burning bush, he answers like this. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Which, if I was Moses, I would probably stare back at this burning bush and be like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't, what is, I am? Oh, that's your name? Okay, I guess that's your name. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, that this becomes the very name of God. Uh, this phrase in the Hebrew, it, it's where we get the word Yahweh, the sacred name of God for the Israelites. 
And so when the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, was translated into Greek, what we call the Septuagint, um, uh, the name Yahweh, I am, was translated ego aimi, which means I am. And John uses this phrase 24 different times in his book, over and over again, pointing to the fact that Jesus is one with the God of Israel. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, or I am the bread of life, or I am the true vine, he is making a statement that is bigger than the fact that he's a good shepherd, or a vine, or bread. He is fundamentally saying that I am. I am one with Yahweh. In John chapter 6, we see this throughout the book. We see it over and over again. Jesus pointing to his own divinity, his oneness with God. And in John 6, there's this interesting story where Jesus' disciples, really late at night, they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and, this, and it's just scary, and it's eerie, and, and they look out on the horizon, and they see what appears to be a ghost walking along on the water. And when they cry out in fear, Jesus answers them like this. Jesus says, Ego, I mean. Jesus says, I am. Don't be afraid. The, 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 the thing that Jesus is saying in that moment is bigger than, don't worry, guys, it's me. He's saying, you have no, nothing to fear because the I am is here. And we see it carrying all the way through the book, right up Jesus, on, uh, just, just before he's about to be arrested, he's in the garden. And in John 18, the night when Jesus was arrested, we read that he was being approached by the temple guard who was coming to arrest him. And this is, what, this is how it goes down, beginning in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out, and he asked these guards, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, ego I me, they drew back and fell to the ground. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. Ego I me. I am. And the power of the spoken word, the name of God, declared to these soldiers who are about to try to arrest him and take him, seize him, put him on a cross and execute him. They shrink back. They fall to the ground under the power of God. In each one of these statements, John is revealing that Jesus is not merely a teacher or a guru or a political revolutionary. No, Jesus is claiming to be the God of the Old Testament who has come in the flesh to save his people. And that is who we are celebrating uh, today and every day leading up to, to Resurrection Sunday. Amen. You see, each, thank you, each of Jesus' self-descriptions are answering this question, what is God like? When Jesus describes himself, he is trying to describe what God himself is like. And each one of the descriptions that we are going to look at over the next several weeks are answering one of the core longings of the human heart. It's speaking to, eat, to different things that each one of us long for deep, deep in our souls. And so here he is saying, this is what life will be like when you surrender it to God. So open up your Bible, if you have it, to John chapter 10 or your phone if you've got the Bible app or something like that, or even just Google it, John chapter 10, and let's receive God's word together, beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. But then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Now, if you're, if you're new to church, if you haven't been around church very long, or you're, if you're exploring Christianity, that might have been a little bit tough to follow. Like, shepherding is not the most relatable analogy in our modern world today. And so at its core, what Jesus is talking about here is leadership. All of us ache for good leadership. And all of us constantly feeling, feel like we're left wanting. Like, like the leaders that we, we see all around us fail us over and over again. Um, I, I know I've shared this story before, but, but I'll say it again. A, f- a few years ago, I was hanging out with a friend of mine uh, who is not a Christian. In fact, I would go so far as to say that he lives in such a way that is in aggressive opposition to the way of Jesus and the morality of Jesus. And we were having some beers and talking one night about, and the subject of politics came up. And he said this really interesting thing to me. He said, I'm tired of looking to Democrats or Republicans or liberals or conservatives to deliver what our country needs. I just wish that we could have some kind of benevolent king or even a benevolent dictator who cares about everyone and who would have everybody's best life in mind, and that should be the person that we just put in charge forever. To which I said, I have good news. (laughs) Now think back a year ago. A year ago, at this time, we were in the thick of primary season, where there was still like a dozen Democrats who were all getting on stage at debates and different town halls and everything else, and every single one of them would declare, I am the great hope for America. Elect me, and I alone can solve all of your problems. And we all collectively rolled our eyes, because we've heard that all before, a thousand times. And before I judge these leaders, I have to recognize that a lot of the failures of leadership that we see all around us all the time are the same things that are baked into me. I remember when I was 11 years old, I was in fifth grade, and I was selected by my homeroom teacher to be part of student government at our school. I had no idea why or what I was being chosen for, but I was just told to go to a meeting. So I showed up to the first meeting of the year, and I asked one of the older kids, one of the wise eighth graders, what is this whole leadership thing all about? And he said to me, it's awesome. You get to skip class. You get to make posters. We get to have meetings with pizza. You get to get out of school for different leadership conferences. It's great. And so even at 11 years old, as I'm being sort of set on this course for leadership in some capacity, I was being given this, I was being pitched 
this way of thinking about leadership that was mostly just a way to get out of stuff and to sort of be above the law and to have lots of pizza lunches. And it didn't disappoint um, to this day. It's pretty great. A lot of pizza lunches. Um, and so, even though our culture is increasingly cynical about leadership, we still long for good leadership. We still look to all kinds of people to help us sort of find the good life. We look to, we look to celebrities, and we ask them to say and do exactly what we want them to say or do. Or we follow influencers on Instagram who tell us what products to buy. Or we read lifestyle bloggers to show us the way to the good life. Or we look to pastors and Christian leaders to help us understand what is or isn't true. We look to parents or older mentors to give us wisdom from their experiences. And fundamentally, the question is, who will you listen to? Who is going to lead you? Because every one of us will follow someone. We long to be led. So who can you trust to lead you and care for you? And who will you entrust your heart to? Now, many of the influencers in our culture today will acknowledge that people are like sheep, but they do not want to take the responsibility of being a shepherd. Cultural influencers often see people as things to be used, commodified, and manipulated for their own gain, rather than, the, rather than having the heart of a shepherd who wants to care for people and raise them up. And the Bible uses this analogy of shepherds and sheep all the way back from the very first book of the Bible. The patriarchs of Israel were all sheep herders. Um, Abraham was, and Isaac, and Jacob, and his sons, even Moses. Moses, before he was sent to the Israelites, he spent 40 years in Midian learning how to be a leader by taking care of a flock of sheep. Then you get all the way up to King David. And we see King David from his youth is taking care of sheep and that this is the training ground for him to be able to become a good king. We read Psalms that are written about how God is like a good shepherd who leads his sheep through green pastures and beside quiet waters. Um, we, we read it in the prophets about how God will be his people's shepherd. And then we see, even in the New Testament, the very first people to receive the good news, the announcement that Jesus has been born, were shepherds. Sheep and shepherds is woven into the entire narrative of Scripture. And while it may seem like a foreign concept to many of us, it is central to, to, to the world that Jesus occupied and really what he was called to do. Now, I spent some time in New Zealand a number of years ago, and uh, fun fact about New Zealand, there are more sheep than people there. And, and they're everywhere. And let me tell you, after having spent time observing what sheep are like, I can tell you that this analogy is not the most flattering for us as people. Um, but, but God would say, we are like sheep. And we long to be led. And we are more influenced by those around us than we care to admit. Now, this is one of those stories that I wish I had a picture of for a, a slide. But back in 2005, there was this incident in the nation of Turkey where a massive flock of sheep was hanging out and grazing in this field that was right next to a cliff. And at one, I guess one day, one of the sheep, a single sheep, looked over and jumped off the cliff. And then the rest of the sheep all said, all right. 
And they started jumping off the cliff, every single one of them, this massive herd of sheep, their flock of sheep. And here's the thing, the funny thing about the story, 400 of them plummeted to their death, and they died on impact. And then because sheep are so fluffy, the next 1,100 that jumped off just sort of bounced off, and we're just fine. So praise God. That's, that's us. <laughs> so the Bible says that this is who we are, that we are more sheep-like than we care to admit. So the question is, as a sheep, who will you follow? Now notice in John chapter 10, who Jesus is directing his entire teaching towards. Uh, what preceded the teaching in John chapter 10 was that Jesus saw a man who was blind from birth. And it became this whole philosophical and theological argument about why was he born blind and what hope is there? And, and is it because of sin? Is it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus had compassion on the man and he healed him. And he sends this man off to go be, uh, be examined by the Pharisees, as was the custom of the law. So this man goes to, to be examined by the Pharisees, and when they see him, they're angry because it was the Sabbath. Oh, broke the, Jesus broke the Sabbath to heal this guy again. And they were so incensed that they said that, that Jesus could not actually be of God because if he was of God, he wouldn't have done this awful thing of healing somebody on the Sabbath. And this blind man, or formerly blind man, he responds to them, I don't know anything about that. I can't tell you whether he was right or wrong. All I can tell you is that a couple of hours ago I was blind and now I can see. And the Pharisees got so angry that they put him out. They threw him out of their assembly. And so the man comes back to Jesus and Jesus sees that they had, that they had thrown him out and he becomes incensed and angry with these leaders. And so as a response, he directs this teaching towards them. This teaching isn't just a gentle encouragement about how good Jesus is as a shepherd and isn't it wonderful for all of us as sheep. This teaching was meant to be a rebuke against evil and ungodly leaders. Jesus has hard words to say against leaders in the religious system in Israel, especially those who take advantage of other people. And what he was speaking in John chapter 10 is a direct reflection back to Ezekiel chapter 34, which I know is one of your favorite verses. You all have it memorized, but just for the sake, I'll read it to you. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 2. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have, brought back the, you have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and he is actually saying that they are a threat against God's people that he is seeking to rescue people from. This is, Jesus, essentially, he calls them hirelings. 
He calls them unloving um, employees that don't really care about the flock. Look with me at John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is going after these shepherds because they don't really care about the sheep. They don't love them sacrificially, and they don't tend to them. Instead, they use the flock for their own benefit, for their own gain. They care for themselves at the expense of the sheep. And to this day, if we're honest, many regard Christian leaders across the body of Christ with suspicion because of the abuses that have happened within the church. And every time one of these scandals takes place, it's uncovered, it's every time that we discover that another Christian leader has been mistreating the flock, my heart is totally grieved and it sends me into this time of deep introspection and repentance and asking God to search my heart. I ask the question, what is it about Christian leaders that makes them so susceptible to these failures? Like, is is Christian leadership a job that just drives people to do these things? Or are broken people all susceptible to becoming Christian leaders? I don't know what the chicken or the egg, but either way, God, save me. <laughs> and in recent weeks, uh, the evangelical world was rocked again by another devastating scandal. A modern hero who hid his, sh- his shadow side and destroyed so many lives. And here's the truth, that as leaders and as Christians, if we don't lead from a godly vision, if we don't lead out of a deep dependence and submission to Jesus, if we don't lead with openness and accountability, there is nothing that the enemy would love more to do than to take these leaders and destroy countless lives through their moral and personal failures. And this is why this is, this is why Paul, who is talking to his protege, Timothy, make, makes the, the exhortation to guard your life and your doctrine closely. This kind of leadership, the way of a hireling, the way of the Pharisee, it leads by either charging ahead and, and, and leaving the sheep behind, or it tends to drive from behind uh, at, at sort of like an unhealthy pace, and then the sheep scatter. And either, way of the, either of these ways of leading, it results in sheep just scattering and disappearing and being vulnerable to the world. And when the sheep scatter, the shepherd has to resort to using dogs to corral the sheep. They use instruments of brutality and harshness, control and manipulation. And this is what ungodly religious leadership looks like. And maybe some of you have sat under this kind of leadership. It pushes with demands and expectations. And when you can't keep up or when you can't give enough or when you're not fulfilling all of the requirements, then it bites you with guilt and shame and condemnation and is motivated by fear rather than love. And Jesus confronts this kind of leadership, and he shows us a whole other way. Jesus leads altogether differently. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who you should follow. And Jesus, he looks out 
across these people of Israel who have been led by these bad shepherds for so long, and he looks on them with compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, we read, when, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus cares for his sheep. He is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34 when God promises that he would judge those wicked, those wicked shepherds and instead God himself would become the shepherd for the scattered sheep of Israel. In verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, he says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his, his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good, gra- in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise throughout the Old Testament scriptures of God as our shepherd and how he comes to protect and care for his people. And so how does Jesus shepherd his people? What makes him the good shepherd that is so different from the wicked leaders of Israel? In John chapter 10, we read three marks of what sets him apart as their good shepherd. First, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Consider these words from Jesus. No one takes his life from him. No, he lays it down willingly. Jesus is the God of heaven who has come and put on humanity and has come to the earth voluntarily to love, uh, or voluntarily out of love to, to take our bondage and our sin and to save us from death. He came to confront the evil and failure of systems and leaders and to resist an altogether different kind of leadership in the world one that is modeled after his sacrificial love. Jesus lays his life down of his own accord, and he can freely take it up again. No one takes his life. Jesus is not a victim of sort of political pressures all coming together at one time. No, Jesus is the one who has the authority to lay his own life down and to take it up again. And this is so important because Jesus is not only loving, but he is also powerful. Jesus is not only kind, but he is also the one who has the power to overcome death. And that's our great hope. The one who has conquered death loves you. That is who Jesus is. And that is how Jesus loves. Jesus goes to the lowest places to bless those who, who, who are at the bottom, 
There is no one so lowly that Jesus overlooks them. In fact, we see that Jesus' eyes are fixed specifically on them. Jesus reaches to the lowly and the outcast. He goes after the sinner and those who have been written off by religion. He washes the feet and serves the poor. He heals the sick and the unclean. He is in the lowest places. That's where we find Jesus loving people. Jesus lays down his life. Second, Jesus says, my sheep know me and they hear me. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Our good shepherd has a loving relationship with his people. That we are invited not only to follow Jesus' commands, but actually to know him and to be known by him. You see, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is not dry religion. It is a real relationship. You see, Jesus is not the kind of shepherd that charges out ahead of us, nor is he the kind of shepherd that that drives from behind. Jesus is a different kind of shepherd. In the ancient world, the good shepherds, how they led their sheep was actually to be standing in the middle of the flock, speaking to them. And the sheep responded to the sound of their shepherd's voice. They knew the specific voice of their shepherd. And that is how Jesus leads. He is a shepherd who joins the flock and who leads with his gentle voice. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Can you hear him? Are you close to him? He is inviting you to be near and near to be led by him. And finally, the third mark that we see, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see, Jesus didn't just come to welcome those who are already insiders. Jesus is drawing those who feel far away from God. He again and again reached beyond religious people to those who are broken by sin. He spent time with prostitutes and the sexually broken. He ate with tax collectors. He was found among the ceremonially unclean, the sick, those suffering with mental illness or uh, demonic oppression. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And maybe you feel lost this morning. Maybe you feel like you wandered into church today, not even sure why. Like you've been longing for some kind of good leadership, but everywhere that you turn, you feel yourself left wanting. Our good shepherd says that he has come to draw you to himself and that when you, when you meet him, you will experience life and life to the full because all are welcome in the family of God. And in saying that Jesus has other sheep not of this pen, he's going beyond just talking about those who are not yet Christians. He's also talking about the important, like that he has come to reach the ethnic other as well. That he is saying that he's going to draw those who are outside of the boundaries of Israel so that all people can be brought to him. And thank God, right? Because I don't know very many of us in this room who are direct descendants of, of Abraham. I'm not. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, that 
I who was once far away, I who was once at a distance from, from the covenant promises of God have been brought in because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. And that because of the death of Jesus, Ephesians 2 says that the wall of hostility between all peoples, of all nations, of all the languages, has been broken so that we might be one in Christ. And this is something that we hold so dear. Jesus has not come for people that are just like me and you. He has come that we might reach beyond ourselves into communities that are outside of ourselves, that we all might be one in Christ. And that this church and that every church in our city and in our nation and beyond would look like the global family of God. Because that's how he's designed it to be. Jesus is the one shepherd who is bringing all people into one flock. Praise God, huh? So Jesus is gathering a flock made up of all people. There is now one shepherd for every single one of us. Nothing can hold you back from being brought in to Jesus' family. In Luke 15, we actually read that Jesus says that that he is the good shepherd that chases down the sheep that have wandered away. He leaves the 99 in his flock, and he hunts down and he pursues, and he finds the one who wandered, and he picks them up and he carries them back to the flock. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel like a lost sheep that is wandering around. And if you are here this morning, or if you're streaming this online, or if you're watching on YouTube later on, let me tell you that that's a sign that Jesus is after you, that Jesus is pursuing you, and he wants to draw you into his family, and he will not rest until you've joined his flock. He loves us. Isn't that good? He laid down his life for us, and all he requires of us to be his sheep is to repent, to turn from our sin, and to receive this ocean of love that, is, that he has prepared for every one of us. And you know what the Bible says happens when he finds that lost sheep? He says, all of heaven throws a party. That all of heaven begins to rejoice because all of heaven knows just how loved you are. Amen? And so this morning, I want to encourage each one of us that if you are that lost sheep, I want to encourage you to come home. Come home. Come into the flock. Come and be close to the shepherd. He wants to give you life and life to the full. And friends, for those of us who are, feel like we're already in the flock and we're already here, I have good news for you. Jesus is the good shepherd that we can trust to lead us. Even when the year feels weird, even when times feel confusing, even when life circumstances are so challenging and we don't know what, where to turn, we have the promise and the hope that our good shepherd cares for each one of us. He will lead us. All we have to do is listen for his voice. Amen? All right, let's stand.